Hi everyone, my name is Natalie Ledwell and this is The Inspiration Show. Today on the show I have a special guest who is the author of this new book. Uh, it's called uh, John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age. Now I'm Australian so I wasn't familiar with uh, with John Fetzer but some of you may know him as being like a radio pioneer, he was a media mogul, he was the owner of the Detroit Tigers. So um, uh, and he is, was uh, very interestingly marrying science and spirituality together. So I can't wait to get into this conversation today. But before I introduce my special guest, I just want to remind you that after the show is over, if you'd like to click the link below the video, um, you can download the free ebook version of my best-selling book, Never in Your Wildest Dreams. So now let me introduce uh, my new my guest, Brian uh, C. Wilson. Hi, Brian. How are you? <laughs> Great to have you here. <laughs> Great to be here. So, uh, so from what I understand, you were a friend, or you were associated with uh, with John Fetzer. Is that right? Well, actually, no. He passed away uh, before I actually came to Kalamazoo, and he died in 1991, and I came in 1996. Right. But the interesting thing about John Fetzer was that um, he created a foundation in the 1950s. And then near the end of his life, uh, in the 70s and 80s, he began liquidating all his businesses and basically using that money to uh, endow the foundation, which today is called the Fetzer Institute. And so it's through the Fetzer Institute and specifically an arm of the Fetzer Institute called the Memorial Trust, which deals with the legacy of John Fetzer, that they asked me to write this book. Right. So, um, so they asked you, like, how did you get to writing this book? Well, uh, I'm a professor of comparative religion at Western Michigan University, and I specialize in American religious history, but I'm specifically very interested in new religious movements uh, and metaphysical movements, and uh, I'm really interested in those kinds of movements here in the Midwest, because the Midwest always kind, kind of gets short shrift uh, over places like California, and I'm originally from California, so I understand why that happens. but in the Midwest, it turns out that um, it was a hotbed of all sorts of interesting alternative and metaphysical movements, of which John Fetzer was a very good example. So they knew me for my writings, and they asked me to do a couple of small projects for them. Uh, and then they basically offered me the possibility of writing a full-scale spiritual biography of John Fetzer. Wow. So he sounds like a very interesting person. Like, you know, he sounds like he had this traditional life, but then he had this interest in the metaphysical and, and spirituality. So tell us a little bit about what you were able to uncover about him. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it's interesting because he was very careful as a businessman uh, to keep his kind of spiritual search very quiet. I mean, even his closest colleagues didn't know everything he was reading and he was into. His closest friends and, and relatives, of course, did. Um, he was baptized a Methodist and, and he joined the Seventh-day Adventist church uh, for a time uh, in his 20s. But then he became dissatisfied with that and he left. And one of the first places he went, he was still on a spiritual search. And so one of the first places he went was uh, Camp Chesterfield, which is a spiritualist camp in Indiana which uh, survives to this day. It's a thriving institution. 
And there he was introduced to all sorts of interesting metaphysical movements. So in addition to spiritualism, uh, new thought, kind of mind over matter thinking, um, theosophy was really big. Uh, he became a Freemason. He got very interested in Rosicrucianism and Hermeticism. And then uh, later in the 1950s, he became uh, absolutely fascinated by parapsychology and UFOs. And uh, the reason for this is because he was always uh, thinking as an engineer. And he was uh, very influenced by Nikola Tesla. And the idea that somehow the electromagnetic spectrum expanded out and perhaps joined up with the subtle energies of the universe. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could come up with a spiritualized science that could actually prove and use um, this kind of expanded notion of what uh, energy is in the universe. So I think that's why UFOs and why parapsychology uh, appealed to him. Right. So he, um, so how did this show up in his life? Did it show up in his business practices? Like, you know, the people that worked for him, were they also involved with this? Like, and, and, you know, and how did he influence other people? Like, what was his life like? Well, he was very good at compartmentalizing. Um, so most of his closest colleagues in his businesses and at the baseball team uh, didn't know about this, but it slipped through occasionally because John Fetzer himself really believed his business success was due to his intuition, which he thought of as a kind of ESP. Um, and he relied on it a great deal. Um, he also used a, a variety of different divination techniques uh, in making business decisions. Um, so for example, he would uh, consult astrologers and, and tarot card readers occasionally. Uh, he really enjoyed using the Ouija board. Um, but for his day-to-day -day activities, he carried around a pendulum. Uh, just a little plumb bob on a string. And when he had uh, decisions to make that he wasn't quite sure of how to make them, he would basically ask the plumb bob yes, no questions. And depending on how it deflected, uh, it would kind of give him more confidence in, in his decisions. Right. Um, in a couple of instances with a baseball team, uh, he used some of these techniques. Uh, he had a very famous pitcher named Mark the Bird Fidrich. And Fidrich was famous for his antics uh, on the mound. Uh, he would talk to the baseball, and he had uh, a very interesting windup. And he was very successful, um, but he eventually became very self-conscious about the way he basically pitched. And so Fetzer took him into his office and pulled out the plumb bob, and together they practiced on making the thing deflect at will. And so the moral here for Fetzer for Fidrich was that what you're doing on the mound is a form of mind over matter. And so don't be self-conscious. Don't worry about it because what you're doing, communicating to the baseball, is actually having a physical effect. Mm. So that's one way he used, uh, Fetzer used his metaphysical beliefs to influence his, his baseball team. Yeah, because what I understand from him, he kind of kept it fairly private until he got until later in life, and then he was a little bit more, you know, open about it. Yes, he was very careful because he was concerned that uh, in religiously conservative uh, Midwest, Southwest Michigan, uh, he would lose audience members or even potential advertisers uh, mm -hmm. if they knew he was into these various kind of met metaphysical movements and currents. 
Right. So how did this manifest in his like daily practices? Was there things that he was doing that was maybe unusual at the time for people, you know, living in that era? Mm -hmm. Well, as, as it started, his, his search was very intellectual. And so he read a lot and he just couldn't get his hands on enough, uh, you know, different writings from various different movements from theosophy, from hermeticism, et cetera, et cetera. But then in the 1960s, he began promoting uh, meditation. And in fact, in the 1970s, uh, he took up transcendental meditation uh, and became very good friends with the Maharishi Yogi. And this is another case where he, he blended his business with his practice because at one of the spring trainings for the Detroit Tigers, he suggested maybe that they might want to take up transcendental meditation. And some of them did and uh, got a lot of benefit out of it. So meditation became extremely important for him. Uh, in later life, uh, he became a member of the Movement for Spiritual Inner Awareness, uh, which is a, a form of uh, Radhaswami, uh, a meditation tradition that actually goes back to 19th century India and, of course, has its roots in the ancient past. Um, so he practiced that for a time. And then in his very last years, he had a, a, a caretaker, um, who was a devotee of Shura uh, Shab Yoga, which is another form of Radhaswami. And so together they had a daily meditation practice that they used and uh, chanting of mantras. And in fact, some of John Fetcher's last words on his deathbed were some of the mantras from Shura Shab Yoga. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So he really, he, he lived his, well, he really lived his message or lived his, his beliefs, which is awesome. And, and clearly it, it did well, like he has this foundation um, and, you know, business did well for him. So tell me about the foundation. Like what are the, some of the things that the foundation is helping to support now? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, today it's still, uh, John Fetzer was very interested in energy medicine and holistic health. Um, and so after his death, this was a theme that was carried on by the foundation. Uh, which changed his name to the Fetzer Institute um, shortly before he died. Um, so they continued doing that kind of work. And a lot of it was funding research, for example, with the National Institute of Health uh, in in, into alternative medicine and holistic health. Uh, he funded local programs. Uh, our holistic health program here at Western Michigan uh, had some of its seed money um, from the Fetzer Institute. So that was uh, a, a really big focus. Um, and then after 9-11, uh, the Fetzer Institute really wanted to see how it could extend spirituality into um, essentially the life cycle from childhood to old age. What were some of the things that they could do uh, to create a, a more spiritual environment? Because they really felt that love and forgiveness were tremendously important for healing the world uh, and bringing about the kind of global transformation that John Fetzer always wanted to. Mm. Um, uh, a really recent program that they're involved in is called Healing the Heart of Democracy. And this is an attempt to bring groups together, uh, basically on a spiritual basis, but to begin discussing um, social and political differences in a way that creates dialogue instead of confrontation and argument. Yeah. And I think that's a tremendously important program that they're doing nationally. And very timely. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've never seen so much division in a country as I, I'm witnessing right now. It's it's crazy. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Yes. So we, we so he passed away in uh, 1991. Um, so what was his, you know, seeing that he has such such a spiritual outlook, what was his, uh, you know, outlook on death? 
or what was his, you know, what did he think about that? Well, uh, he had a very positive outlook. Um, I, I read a very poignant letter. He had a, a niece who was suffering from multiple sclerosis and it was getting worse and worse. Uh, and so he basically set out some of his beliefs and he believed that when a person dies, they simply shed their human body and enter into what he called a higher octave of existence. So he believed that human life continued. Uh, he believed very deeply in reincarnation, uh, although he hoped that this was his, his last go round and that he would continue learning and growing spiritually over time. So his whole attitude towards death was very positive. And in fact, in his last days, uh, he seemed to be uh, very calm uh, and very accepting of, of what he saw as just simply a, a transition. Mm. Yes, I, li I like that. I, I mean, I believe that too. And I think, so did that change the way he lived his life, the way that he was had no fear wrapped around, you know, transitioning mm -hmm. or death? I think so. I think so. And it, it, it had something to do as well with the fact that um, he became much more open in his last decade about his spiritual beliefs uh, because he really believed he was he had a mission and this mission extended over multiple lifetimes. And so here he finally had the wealth and power to institutionalize his vision. And that really made him proud and, and, and very optimistic about the, the future. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. I haven't had an opportunity to read the book yet, but I can't wait to get into it. I'm so glad I've got a copy. But uh, what's, what is your, you know, what would you like readers to get out of the book? Like what is it, you know, that you, what's the experience you would like them to have? Well, I think a couple of things. Um, here is a, a man who was very, very successful, but he never made money making the final goal. He always thought in terms of a mission. It's it's not the money, it's the mission. And I think that's tremendously important. Um, it's very hard in, in our uh, economy and in our political environment um, to think in those kinds of more transcendental terms. Uh, but I think it's very important so we're not dominated by our things. Uh, he lived a very modest life. He was a multimillionaire. He was on the Forbes 400 most wealthy people list. But uh, most of his money was basically plowed back either into his businesses and then later in life into his spiritual vision of the Institute. And I think that's, that's a wonderful model. Um, yeah. Um, the other thing that Fetzer really believed in was he called it freedom of the spirit. And he believed that all spiritual paths ultimately would, uh, would, would uh, converge. And so it didn't matter whether you're a Christian, a Jew, a uh, Hindu or a Muslim or a, uh, a theosophist or practiced, uh, you know, Course in Miracles. Um, if you did it with heart, essentially these, these paths would converge and the spiritual experience ultimately would, uh, would result in a, in a global spiritual transformation. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, that's the, that's the, uh, the beauty of religion and spirituality in its essence. You yes. know? Um, and whether we call it different things or different labels, does, does that really matter? So, yeah. yeah. All, all yeah. roads lead to the same place. Well, Brian, uh, it has been fascinating talking to you today, and I really appreciate your time. So if people want to maybe connect with you or get their hands on the book, where can we send them to do that? Well, the book, uh, it's being published by Wayne State University Press and available for order on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. But we also have a website, InfinitePotential.com, which is all one word. 
Uh, and that will uh, take you to uh, a page that describes um, some of the programs that the Memorial Trust of the Fetzer Institute is doing. And there's also a link where you can download a PDF of the first chapter of the book. So if you're interested, uh, definitely check that out. Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Brian. I really appreciate your time. Pleasure Thank you. to meet you, darling. <laughs> All right, so guys, I encourage you to please share this video. Let's get the, the word out there. Um, and it's an amazing book, and uh, the foundation sounds incredible, and I love the work that they're doing. So uh, click the Facebook and the Twitter share buttons on this page to do that. And don't forget, if you can either click the link below this video or the banner to the side, so you can go directly through to Brian's website um, so you can get your hands on the, on the book and connect with them. And after all that is over, if you click the link below that, uh, you can download the free ebook version of my best-selling book, Never in Your Wildest Dreams. So until next time, remember to live large, choose courageously, and love without limits. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. <laughs>